0: Coming up next on the Wet Fly Swing Podcast.
1: He started playing hide and seek, and I'm playing with them too. At this point, I'm just barely lobbing this. Will and Nelson out there so it doesn't get snagged up. I mean, it's like half just rolling down the bottom of the river at this point. Spooks this still head out. Sees my fly just dang near bouncing along the bottom of the river. Freak comes in and annihilates it and that was the first steelhead i caught on this sea tuck um is because of this otter
0: (laughs) that was will donnelly with the story about an otter helping him catch his first steelhead this is our ask a pro series where you get first-hand advice and stories from guides we've been out fishing with welcome to the swing welcome to the wet fly swing fly fishing show where you discover tips tricks and tools from the leading names in fly fishing today If you get a chance, click that share button. If you have an episode you've listened to in the past you really enjoyed, and uh, that's a great way. If you're brand new to the show, welcome. And, And check in anytime with me if you have an idea for a show topic. We'd love to put that together for you. Today's episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, putting together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that trip of a lifetime. These are not your lodge-style trips. These are not your uh, car-style trips. This is remote, floating in, uh, flying in at times, floating in down Alaska in the middle of nowhere, mousing for rainbows, camping out under the stars of the Alaskan sky. This is good stuff. We did a trip earlier this year, and it was amazing. You can check out these trips right now from Fishhound, wetflyswing.com, slash fishhound, F-I-S-H-H-O-U-N-D, Will Donnelly, head guide at Fishhound Expeditions, takes us into Alaska with a focus on road tripping. We break down Alaska by car, uh, where you should be heading, which species you can chase, and some of the tips on flies, techniques. For someone uh, like Will, who lives in Alaska year-round, pretty cool, we dig into a bunch of stories, including the trip uh, we hooked up with uh, last year. Alaska by road, stay tuned in this one as Will describes his steelhead astrovan and the mural that the rig is painted uh, under. Here he is, Will Donnelly from fishhoundexpeditions.com. How's it going, Will? Oh, pretty good. How are you? Good, good. Thanks for making some time to come on here and uh, and talk a little bit of Alaska fishing. We we got a pretty cool story because, um, uh, you know, I was up there with you on a guide trip up to the middle of nowhere in Alaska. I like to kind of think of it, which is kind of what we were, but... We did this big trip up there and you were amazing. I mean, really from the first day, you know, that trip when we took a car drive down and stuff like that, right? It was just this whole experience. So I want to talk about all that and and what you do in Alaska and your, you know, your fishing background. But before we get into all that, take us back to fly fishing. How how did you first come into fly fishing? Oh,
1: I, I first started fly fishing when I was in my young 20s, somewhere around 23 um, I fished my whole life. I didn't get into it until after my first uh my first back surgery. And my first back surgery was in the winter and the only other river that's open in the winter up here is the Kenai most of the time in the winter and I would just drive past the ski resort every day and go to the go to the Kenai just to have something to do and stay sane one of my buddies and his brother got me into fly fishing on their cataract on the Kenai river and
0: you know I never looked back once I got a fly rod in my hand there you go so the Kenai so that's the big river and so like this time of year or throughout the winter that's the only thing and people are still out there fishing throughout the like the winter
1: yeah for the most part you know when I first started fly fishing in the winter like what uh 10 plus years ago now it was relatively empty, and you could you could find a lot of the the river by yourself. But nowadays, you go down there in the winter; it's like almost every good run and hole has oh, wow. more and more fly fishermen in there. So um, the Kenai is definitely where I got started. Super fun river, just a lot of people, and that's like the only thing that keeps me away from it now.
0: Gotcha. Gotcha. What is your, so are you, so you were born in California, it sounds like, but you moved up to Alaska. Talk about that a little bit. how did you find yourself up in Alaska?
1: Oh, born in Redding, California. Um, and then both the parents, you know, they both got paid more up here in Alaska and they drug me and my brother or me and my sister and my brother. Uh huh. And, uh, we, I lived in Alaska ever since like 10 years old.
0: Oh, wow. And where did you guys move up from Redding? Which, uh, city did you move into in in alaska
1: anchorage so i was raised in anchorage south side anchorage um yeah i'm just now starting to live in the willow area but Uh lived in uh anchorage ever since then
0: that's right. So what is Anchorage like? I, mean, I always think of Anchorage like you hear some of the jokes like, you know, Anchorage isn't really Alaska because it is the one place that, you know what I mean? But what, what is it? I mean, it is Alaska, obviously. I mean, talk about that. What is it like growing up for somebody who's never been up there or never lived up there? Why is Anchorage so cool? And then what is challenging about it?
1: Uh, Anchorage is
0: our big city. Half the population lives in Anchorage. Uh, when
1: you live in Anchorage and going in school in Anchorage, you're always calling like the the cities or towns just north of you um like you're you know you got your wallzilla billies or your willow Mm. billies or everybody's like stupid inbred jokes and stuff like that yeah yeah (laughs) yeah and then now that i'm on the other side living in the valley you got you call them Anchorageites or or uh oh my gosh i'm forgetting all the different turns but there's like There's always an animosity between everybody else in Anchorage. And then you even got like, so you got the Valley and that's just north of Anchorage. um, The two bigger communities up there. And then you got Anchorage and then you got your outside villages and small towns area. So everybody has a different vibe on the way that they see each other basically. But you definitely know when it's a weekend because everybody from Anchorage is going uh, somewhere.
0: Oh, right, <laughs> right. So, that's right. So everybody's headed out hunting or fishing. That's, that's what I remember when we, we rolled in we drove like two hours out uh, towards Telkeetna. And I remember seeing on the road, it was just like, everybody had a boat or there was a moose on the back. I mean, that's pretty much people are in Anchorage to hunt or fish or do something outdoors. Right. That's, it seems I mean, that, right. That's whatever. Have you ever met like who, who up there, do you meet many people that aren't into hunting and fishing?
1: So that that's Anchorage. So it's a bigger city. And you're you when I first moved up here, it was wild to me that like most of the kids my age didn't even know how to swim oh, wow. or anything like that. And it was like, you know, yeah, Anchorage, you have, I would say, a normal populate. It's a high population of very outdoorsy people. Yeah. Like You know, you're going to have a lot of your trail runners, hikers, right. cross country skiers, snowboarders. And like it, everything, just everything, and you know, for the most part, a lot of people find their niche to keep themselves sane outside. Yeah, but you also got that's a lot of people in Anchorage that are just like regular old. They rather just play video games. Oh right, and and go to the bar, and that's it. You know that. There you is, go. You know they 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 might go on a hike every once in a while, play frisbee golf, but they're yep. not they're not outdoorsmen. You know, I'd yeah, say I gotcha. Anchorage has a higher population of outdoorsmen than a lot of other cities, but it's not, it's still, you're going to find, you know, your suits and ties and people that just don't go outside ever.
0: Wow. Yeah, that's cool. It's interesting. I'm reading a book on a tangent. Um, it's pretty cool. My, my, I guess it's my, my grandma's brother was a, um, you know, if you take back, go back in time in that, right. So we're talking the thirties when he was, you know, when he was a kid But it was amazing because it's, I'm hearing the stories from him, you know, this book, his son basically wrote this book about him and it's about the stories. And he was, you know, he was in Portland in the thirties and they decided to be like, you know what, we're we're like, you know, they're, they're foreclosing on the house. We're just going to take it up and leave and go down to the rogue river and live on the rogue. And they literally drove down and just lived on the rogue river for like whatever, and they were gold panning and they lived off of, yeah. And they lived off of like gold. And it was funny because they're telling stories about how they had to protect their, their area and but think of that i mean in that day and age so basically 90 years ago they were able to just drive down on the rogue and just live there right like no i mean and people are kind of doing that around here too it's a little different the homeless and stuff but i mean you know what i mean it's a different time so like in alaska feels like to me it's still that you still have that thing where you can i mean it's different obviously but do you still feel that out there where people are there because they're like you know what we're doing our own thing and we're not going to have anybody really tell us what we do up here. Is that kind of what's cool? One of the cool things about it?
1: Yeah, totally. You'll not necessarily in Anchorage, but you're going to find that in the smaller communities. And then you really find that in the really out of the way communities that you need to take a four wheeler for hours or a helicopter, bush plane, or a boat to, yep. um, you find a lot more of those independent just um trying to disappear or do their own thing by themselves um but in anchorage anchorage you don't really see a lot of that you you know yeah that's a city that was one of the cool things about growing up in anchorage um it's the second most diverse school district in the nation mm. to oh, next wow. to uh new york and oh, we do have a, a lot of different like uh communities that move up here like your Samoans or Hawaiians and oh wow a lot of the other Asian communities all of them Mm -hmm. um then you also get some of like refugees from Africa and stuff that show up and oh wow you you just get it's it's a giant melting pot in yeah (laughs) I guess
0: because probably I'm guessing there's just a good there's opportunity right there's jobs up there and it must be a place where anybody can probably go and and find work up there right it might not be the easiest work
1: yeah, you definitely get paid more on average in Alaska, but it does cost a lot to live up here. And I think one thing that people look for is the permit fund dividend or the PFD. Mm. And like when yep. you have a big family with like five plus kids and like this year it was 3000 bucks, that's that's a lot of money.
0: Oh, wow. So you get yeah, you get 3000 per kid. So if you had five kids, you're getting like whatever, 18K or 20 or something like that.
1: Yep. Um, Growing up, you have a lot of parents that will put it away in an investment or a college thing.
0: Um, And then you got other parents that just have to use it for bills and stuff. Right. 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 That's that's interesting. Okay, so so that's a little flavor of kind of the the people up there and in the community thing. And and then what about the weather? So that's always the next thing. Is it, you know, like right now, it's, um, you know, and there's other places that are cold. But what's your take on it? Like throughout the winter, do you is it something you kind of get used to once you've lived up there enough?
1: Uh, You definitely get used to it. I started to go a little crazy um, when I like I said, I hurt my back. I wasn't snowboarding every day during the winter like I used to. Um, so you need to figure out something to do because it's, it's long, dark and cold. Yeah. And if you're not being active and stuff, it's pretty easy to, to not want to be here for the last uh, few years. Um, I just been traveling the West coast, basically Hawaii, Washington to Mexico the last few years during the winter, finding spots to surf and fish right on. Um, and hanging out with family and friends but right now finally getting above zero it's at a whole two degrees and it feels really nice compared to the negative 35 um, for the last two weeks almost and we got five feet of snow right before that in just two two to three days oh wow i had to when i came back from honduras i had to dig out cars that you couldn't even see anymore (laughs) <laughs> oh, my gosh. Wow. I, I was like,
0: I don't <laughs> want to be here right now. <laughs> That's right. That's right. The Honduras. So let, let's go there. We're going to dig into some Alaska, uh, some tips on uh, doing a road trip to Alaska sort of thing. But let's go back. I want to hear that Honduras because Cam, another uh, guy who was on the trip that we did, you know, is down there, right? So you met up with Cam. What, what was that like down there? Because that was, sounds like a pretty cool operation.
1: Oh, man. Uh, I never... The spot that we're at, one of the Bay Islands there in Honduras, um, it was it was one of the coolest things I'd done in a long time. Like oh, usually wow. in a vacation, towards the end of it, you're ready to go home. I was yep. I was dreading it. Um, oh wow! I went down there to just fish. That's what I thought. Yeah. But then the first uh, the first day I went fishing with Cam on the flat, and my first shot. This is gonna sound sound uh crazy but i i caught a bone on one of my very first casts oh, on one of wow. my first thoughts and i was just listening to cam i didn't see the the bones necessarily and he's all talking about don't cast directly on top of them yep. you're gonna cast short or wide whatever it is and i'm basically just i cast it out there and i'm just staring at cam i'm like okay now what and i'm stripping oh, it man. in i could fill some grass and I. Uh, felt something that felt like grass, but maybe a little bit different. I set that hook, a nice strip set, and that thing took me in my backing before I even oh, knew it. It
0: was wow. one of the
1: – Apparently, I like blacked out a little bit when I had that fish on. Um, oh, really? Yeah,
0: I guess <laughs> too I much, too ever, much to drink that afternoon? <laughs>
1: yeah, no, I, it was in the early morning. <laughs> okay. Was, well, could, uh, no, have been, could have
0: been still. <laughs> no alcohol
1: involved at all. And, yeah. Uh, I guess I like ran over and hugged him when I had the fish on. I, oh, I don't remember amazing. this at all, <laughs> but I caught that bone, hit another bone, a smaller bone. Yeah. That was a meat. The first bone I caught was a medium bone, and then the second wow. bone was a little guy. And then yep. I went two days on a flatboat after that, and the conditions are Jeez. tough. It was rainy, the water yep. was a little murky, and. Yep. We fished hard Fished. We got into some cool little bays that we had to time the waves Mm -hmm. to get in there. And I mean, it was just beautiful. Had maybe two chances at one permit in a little school of bone. Nothing happened. And after that, um, you got diving down there and I started diving and that's what I spent most of my time doing diving. Oh,
0: wow. No kidding. Just like free diving, just with the whatever scuba diving. Oh, scuba. Yeah. The full deal. Yeah,
1: I just got scuba open water certified and advanced. And when I go back next year, I might work on my master's.
0: Wow. Wow. So uh, now talk about that just for a second here. Like the scuba, that sounds pretty, pretty cool. Was that, um, I mean, what was that like down there, scuba? Did you, just, did you just go down and just hanging out, hanging out with the fish? And
1: Oh, know? man. Like when I whenever I go to Hawaii, Mexico and stuff, I'm, I'll snorkel and do a little bit of spear mm-hmm. fishing just with the snorkel but now like with the scuba set you could stay down there it's just so it's just wild especially that night dive we took where you just have a flashlight oh, you're wow. seeing octopus you're seeing Damn. big lobster it was yep. just super super cool like i can't that like you know when i went down there with one of our other guys too shane and adam was down there too at this at the oh, same yeah. time And I kind of Mm -hmm. felt bad. I never really fished with Adam because we're just on two different schedules. He's always fishing. And I have to do these scuba courses. And me and Mm. Shane, we were like, man, we got all summer to fish. That's what we do.
0: Yeah. (laughs) Right.
1: That's like one of the first times in my life where I chose something else other than fly fishing.
0: (laughs) There you go. There, yeah, that's uh, that makes sense to me because yeah, I mean, you're in the place, you've got the scuba, you got the skills. Yeah, that sounds like a pretty cool alternative. That's amazing. And then, and then Adam, of course, is with Fishhound Expeditions, who he's kind of leading the show out there, and he was he's the person that's been hooking everything up with us and and the trip and everything. So uh, we've done a few episodes, uh, some stuff with Adam already. I'll have links in the show notes to those. They can check it out. But. um well, this is good. I think we'll circle back around maybe if we have time at the end to hear some more of your uh your scuba, you know, some of the stuff there. But let let's get into this uh, this trip. So this Alaska thing and and think about the person who is, you know, maybe flying into Anchorage, getting a rental car and they're just going for it, or maybe they're even driving up the Alaska Highway and they're doing a full thing for they're gonna be up there for, you know, a month or something like that. What do you tell somebody if they're like, cause there's a lot of water up there, there's a lot going on. You know, as far as doing it from the road, is that a doable thing? And then what do they need to think about?
1: Yes. I a thousand percent recommend recommending like uh, you know, renting a car or Mm -hmm. whatever vehicle, borrowing a vehicle from a family member, whatever it is. Um and it totally depends on the time of year on what Mm. you'd be doing and what, what you're looking for. So salmon, yeah, and trout. You know, when people come to Alaska, they think they could just catch a king any time of the year. Right. And it, do- it doesn't doesn't work that way. Like, king no. show up first, then it's like sockeye and pinks, chum and silver. That's kind of the order mm-hmm. that they come in. But, um, yep. y- you know, and it it just depends on what you're looking for. If you're just a trout bum, yeah, you have to go try the kenai a little bit. And it depends okay. on the time of year you're on. You know, the Kenai is a super famous, legit river. It's just really popular in a lot of people. And yeah. the fishing can be tough because of that. But you, you find it on certain times of the year. Like when I first started fly fishing the Kenai, my family, was they still go down to the confluence of the Russian River and they snag mm. their limit of, of sure. reds. But I got to the point where I would just hang out by the fly fishing cleaning stations with my fly rod with like a six pack waiting for someone to throw their guts in. And you're catching a freaking (laughs) seagull or a rainbow every cast when you do that. Oh, wow. That's (laughs) funny. No kidding. I can't tell you how many seagulls I wrestled in front of those thousand tourists, you know, as a younger (laughs) dude.
0: Oh, wow. So that's the key. Yeah. And, I, and I've i been down there a while, a lot, quite a long time ago. It's a pretty, it's a huge area, lots of trips, things like that. What are the other areas? If you think about driving, you know, if you're going to do, I guess you can think of it as like, I'm going to do a day trip from a lat, from Anchorage, or I'm going to go a little bit further. Is, are there some other areas like North, you know, yeah. kind of like, so yeah.
1: If it, if it was me, I would, I would drive North to the Susitna Valley and yep explore all those tributaries and yeah you got everything from rainbows to dollies or dolly barden to arctic grayling and you know again depending on that time of year it changes on how you're fishing in the very beginning of the year the very very beginning during ice out you're gonna be using like dead eggs and then it quickly goes to uh the outgoing smolt migration or fry Mm. migration um Mm -hmm. so you're going to be imitating those things like a woolly bugger or whatever stuff like Mm -hmm. that and then you're going to switch to your bigger streamers and then again finally once those salmon start dropping eggs and you're going to go to or you're going to go to an egg pattern um and the way these tributaries work along the susitna you know as it goes later on in the year after ice out, those those fish spread out because these fish on the sioux They're all connected to the Susitna River and you got all these tributaries and they don't live in the tributaries year round. They live in the big Sioux when it's all frozen over because these rivers are just a trickle underneath feet of ice. So they don't, they're not living in the little tributaries. So as it, as the year goes, they go up the tributaries and as the water drops and starts to freeze, they go back into the Sioux. So depending on the time of year is depending on where you're going to fish along those tributaries. The higher up you get on these tributaries, you're going to find more arctic grayling. And some of the arctic grayling fishing out here is just ridiculously good where you could pick any dry fly and the most likely they'll hit it a few times until they don't and switch it back up. And it's pretty fun. And some beautiful out of the way spots on some of these, uh, some of these tributaries if you find one of the fishing trails and just hike up get into like a little canyony area and just go from pool to pool and there's big rainbows in there too don't don't like you might catch a nice 20 plus inch rainbow on a yep. little dry fly up here you know for the most part in alaska i unless we're grayland fishing i avoid the little dry flies because it's just these fish up here are meat eaters. They like yeah. the, my favorite dry fly. I don't think you count it as a dry fly, but it's a mouse.
0: Yeah, it's the mouse. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> that's right. How is that? How does the mouse thing talk about that a little bit? What, when is the mousing, you know, Oof. when does that kind of get good?
1: Oh, as soon as uh, ice, as soon as they start to trickle their ways up the tributaries, you, you, you're going to want clear water um, for sure. So they can see it. Like when me and you went, fishing on that heli trip i was really disappointed like we had to work hard a little bit until that water dropped and cleared up for us and you know usually that time of year when we went they're not looking up as much as they are looking down for those eggs because it's just such an easy meal but when the water is low and clear you're running a mouse over those runs you're still gonna get some 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 trout on the mice all the way until the end of the year Um, amazing like the last trip i took on that river before me and you went the water was clear enough and the you know we we caught a nice like 24 inch bow leopard bow before i even had the boat set up and uh
0: on on a mouse
1: on a mouse yes sir oh there you uh, go yeah that's that's my most favorite way to catch a rainbows on a mouse
0: yeah hands down yep yep that's it And and that's what it was yeah we had a this last year, yeah, super rainy. It was super flooding, and the hot the water was just high. And we got in there, but in a in a normal year, you might have lower flows, clear water, and even in into September, you could still get fish on the mouse, the mousing stuff. Even though earlier is good too, because like in, in you know after ice out, fish are super hungry, so they're they're chowing. But the probably the period where the mousing isn't as good is when it's like full on eggs everywhere. Is that kind of how it works?
1: Yeah. So the, you know, those fish are going to be holding up and in different runs depending on on what fish is spawning when and uh yep. and when the river is literally choked with eggs they're really just being fat and lethargic and they they have yep. no reason to go up because they could barely fit another egg in their belly right there's Damn. a there's a Damn. there's sometimes a week to a two week period in august we call it the glut and it's when oh. all these pink salmon Responding spawning so heavily that if you don't have that perfect bead color perfect bead size with the perfect drift and just pray that this fish decides to eat your egg because they're so full when you do catch one of them they're puking
0: dozens mm. of
1: eggs as you're you're unhooking them and it is just it, it could be really frustrating because you see hundreds and hundreds of fish and that you got a guy that's trying to catch a trout and I'm like, damn, I'm sorry. They're just, they're too full, you know?
0: Like, Right. They're, they're literally choking. Probably like eggs are probably like spurting out of their mouth. They're so fat and
1: choking with eggs. And sometimes in the beginning of the year, when you're catching the trout with the outgoing, uh, fry migration, you'll see them puke literally dozens of baby salmon. Jeez. Just dozens and dozens <laughs> wow. of baby salmon. And you know you know, it's that time of year when you, if you're floating down a river or if you're in one of the confluences and you see arctic terns or seagulls, typically the arctic terns are the ones that are die, like dive bombing. You know, they're looking for those yep. baby fish. And if you're watching where that happens and you see a splash not created by a bird, that's a fish. And the thing that a lot of people do they just want to go to a big heavy sculping pattern and yeah that might work yeah. you know but yeah. it's not going to work as well um you want a lighter pattern that's going to skim right under the surface because that's where if you're watching these little baby salmon go out to the ocean that's where they're at they're right oh, on the surface and if you're gotcha. floating down a river and you see a log jam and you see birds on the log jam poking out the water they're eating the baby salmon
0: oh and wow. you want
1: to you want to wood is good you want to be near that wood.
0: What is good. So are you with the streamers now? We're kind of in the streamer game. Is it? Uh, so you're saying basically you're fishing like, how are you? Let, let's just describe that. How are you fishing the streamers up there?
1: Oh, I want it down and across. Down and across to the downhill. Like not a lot. of. So you get these guys that know what they're doing from the states, like especially Colorado. Yep. They want to slap that bank and like aggressively bring it back in and stuff i want it i want to throw it slightly down at the deep outside bank typically right Mm -hmm. in front of a log jam that that's my favorite and then you give it an upriver mend and you let it pull tight and you just let it swing especially if you're fishing a dalai lama or something and the dalai lama represents a lamprey and lampreys are a big food source for a lot of these trout it's a four inch wet sock basically of rabbit yeah. fur with a cone head that you yeah. lob out there and you just let it do its thing you get it tight to get it mm. right so you can fill the bite. yep and that's it you know you don't yeah. need to you know if you're doing too much you're you're just spooking these trout
0: yeah you're spooking uh, them wow so are you using a what's the line is this just a dry line or are you actually using some sort of intermediate sinking line
1: oh well, my favorite is a uh, Rio outbound short with uh uh, with uh i don't know six foot leader yeah somewhere around there so it's more Mm -hmm. manageable so people could actually feel the bite and stuff
0: Mm. and
1: you know but the way i like to do it especially if we're on the boat i am gonna i'm gonna back row my butt off right in front of log jams and stuff so we don't kill ourselves but also pull that big old trout out of the wood
0: right um right right so you guys are fishing these you're fishing those Dalai lamas from the boat too and off the bank.
1: Oh, yeah. So now that we're talking about Dalai Lama now, if you have a buddy and you, a buddy has a mouse and you have the Dalai Lama, the rule is the mouse always goes first before the right. Dalai Lama because that For Dalai sure. Lama will typically clean it up. Um, so that's like more, you know, right before B drop, like, you know, in June The first bead drop or egg drop happens in like July when the Kings first start dropping their eggs. So Mm -hmm. all the way before some point in July, you're going to be using your streamers, um, Dalai Llamas, woolly buggers, stuff like that.
0: Okay. So that's it. So, so streamers. So you're, so you got the mice you're doing early and then the streamers are working there. Well, and are the Dalai Lamas, is that working throughout? When does the Dalai Lama not work? throughout the I summer
1: stop using dalai lamas, especially in august because these fish for the most part getting picked on all year long by dalai lamas, and then they got an easier food source of with all those pink salmon spawning um the eggs so oh, once right. that just happens eggs take over it's just eggs and you might switch it up a little bit you could have an egg pattern and you know in alaska we peg beads so you have like a yeah inch and a half two inches from your hook to the bead and sometimes you can experiment especially during the glut experiment with the uh, something else on the bottom of the bead like uh, some kind of bug maybe a oh, right. worm.
0: sure that's yep, some of my different.
1: favorite i don't even like saying that really because that yeah that, that that stuff makes all the difference on some of those
0: days gotcha especially probably those days where people are maybe the fish are seeing there's a lot of anglers, something a little different,
1: a little bit different or water clarities too sometimes. Mm. So you could do the whole steak and egg pattern where you have what that is, is an egg with a flesh fly and a flesh fly here in Alaska is, you know, representing a dead piece of salmon floating down the river. Mm -hmm. And that's what these fish live on during the winter is freezer burnt salmon breaking up out of the gravel or the ice. And, as it floats huh. down, they'll eat the eggs or the
0: carcasses. Oh wow! Yeah, that's it. So uh, it reminds me again. So the steak and eggs is what? What is that set up now?
1: It's a so you could have a fly with a built-in steak and egg pattern. You know, where it's just an egg and a flesh, or you could get just a flesh fly in variety of sizes from micro to popcorn yep. size to a bigger chunk of rabbit fur of some sort. And I like doing that when the water is a little bit uh, murkier. So it has a better profile and just something Mm. for these fish to maybe see. And this last winter or last summer, we, what, our weather went from uh, pure sunshine from March all the way to the end of July. And then after the end of July, we had, what, three or four different flood events.
0: God, wow. It It all came in one event or one summer, late summer.
1: Yeah, from the end of July to throughout September was nothing but flood events, yeah, one after another in the rivers, like so Willow Creek that I got do yep. my day guiding on where me and you first fish, yep. We uh, what what the average flow is somewhere around five hundred cfs, that's cubic feet per second, yep.
0: And we were up
1: into the six to eight thousands, I think this oh, year. Wow. It's the highest I ever seen it
0: right so it's flood. was that campground was that where we put in was that was that flooded that parking lot oh yeah we basically had
1: to put in there at the that one rv spot
0: that's where we oh, had wow. to put
1: in and you wow see so you're salmon. still able at the high flows
0: so you're still able to fish it even at those high flows <laughs> oh so yeah well okay if it's during salmon
1: season i know a couple little spots where there's clear water That runs out of the the marshes and it's relatively clear that flow in, and I mean it it was so high the woods the whole the whole creek the woods are all flooded too. There's nowhere to get out to take a piss or do the barbecue. We I (laughs) had to set up the barbecue on the boat box one day, (laughs) but in those two in those two spots, where all the salmon hang out, and thank God they, you know, they're cool about not catching trout because. Yeah. There was no way in hell we were catching a trout that day, those days. No. But those no. salmon, they all hang out. And we I can't even tell you how many salmon we caught. Oh really? I, I I sound uh I don't know what I sound like saying this, but it was like the most boring fishing yeah. trip ever, sitting in two right. holes just unhooking salmon after salmon after what, salmon. What were the
0: salmon? What species were they? Pinks. Oh, pink. Silver. Um,
1: silvers. the silvers are just showing up. So we only caught a couple of them in that beginning of that first flood during that time. But then yep. as the season goes on, the pink salmon start to die off, and there's just more, more uh silvers. We started calling silvers fish of a thousand pinks.
0: <laughs> uh,
1: you had yeah, to catch right. like a thousand pinks just to catch one
0: silver. That's right. Yeah, the pinks and the pinks is unique because the pinks, you, you know, that is one species that are abundant up there. But as you go down south, you don't find as many pinks. You know, it's more of a northern thing. Um, so you got, so basically, you got that. Yeah, you had a crazy year up here this year. I guess if you take it to like a normal year, and let, let's just think of that. So, and we'll go back to the person driving up there. So they they hop in their rental car in Anchorage. They get off the plane. They're like, okay, we've got you know, we got a week. We're going to travel up and just hit some fishing. They got their gear in, and then they head up to. Let's say towards, like you're saying, up there to the Susitna Valley, and there's tons of streams, and you could just pr- pretty much go up there and find any stream, park in a lot, and just start hiking. And it, like, Is that pretty much the thing to do? I mean, I, I would say before you get there is that hiring a guide for a day is, is a really good thing to do always, right, to get the lay of the land.
1: Uh, for sure. So I get that a lot, you know, um, especially like when I used to drive the, my Astro van that's painted like a steelhead. You get oh, wow.
0: people <laughs> Wait, 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 wait. Is it is just, do you still have this Astro van? I do. I'm just not driving it right now. Oh man, now we I, we got you got to send me a picture. Could you send me a picture of that and I'll put it in the show notes? I will. There
1: it's just That's an old Astro van and-
0: Oh yeah, I love the well the thing about the <laughs> Astro Van as well is that my buddy in high school, his parents had Astro Van and this is the type of guy he was. He would go out there, we would go driving around town like to Taco Bell or whatever and he would he'd be like, Check this out, it's got posy, whatever, right? So you could like spin <laughs> both tires at the same time. So he would he would put the foot on the brake and then just gas it and he'd just burn rubber all over town. Like do, could your van do that? <laughs>
1: no, no. Mine was all wheel drive, thank God. Oh. Gotcha. So gotcha, I, gotcha.
0: Okay.
1: <laughs> I call it the bad Astro because that thing, that thing went everywhere. I wanted to take it. Um, I love that van. You know, I wish that's I awesome. had it up here right now because my SUV right now, the freaking four wheel won't engage into four wheel drive. Oh shoot! And so that's Damn. a hassle. I'm trying to find a shop to get it into soon. Sure. Um. Yeah. But uh, yep. yes, when I had that Astro van painted like a trout, there's Gandalf on the back. That was the first time I ever spray painted in my life, too, by the way. First and only. <laughs> so, yeah. yeah I, so,
0: you paint it. So, you literally paint this van with your, with a rattle can yourself?
1: Oh, yeah. It, well, oh, so wow. the reason, the reason I did that, I was, uh, you know, after I had the, like I said, I had those three back surgeries, blah, blah, blah. Mm. And when I was finally done with all that physical therapy and stuff, I was like, and it's starting to become, it's springtime. I was trying to figure out what am I going to do with my summer. And I just looked up Yakutat, Alaska and the ferry mm. system. And I brought my ferry. You know, I was going to bring the van down on the ferry and live in Yakutat for a year. And it was just this old. It's like a 98 shitty Brown. So I was like, screw it. I just, you know, got some moose tooth pizza and invited two of the girls that I knew that were in college for art even though they never spray painted either. And uh, we just, we worked on the van and uh, it, oh, it cool. turned out all right. You know, the it's a steelhead with, and then the one girl's like, can I put Gandalf on the back? I'm like, <laughs> sure. So there's a giant <laughs> stencil of Gandalf on the back and it says, you shall not pass on my van. And oh, uh, wow. uh, yeah, when I brought it down to Yakutat, I was just, uh, trying to catch some of my first uh, Southeast steelhead and, yeah. um, and surfed that's surf city, oh, Alaska.
0: Wow. No kidding. Oh, so they're surfing down there.
1: Yeah. They have a surf shop. I think it's the most oh, far, wow. farthest North shirt shop in North America.
0: Crazy. There you go. So instead, did you end up uh, hooking Any of those steelhead?
1: Yes. Yes. Uh, that's right. When I, and if you know, the, the river, the sea tuck and yak it's oh, uh yeah. you, especially there near the upper end on nine mile. It's not, it's a small Creek and that's right when I got my first two-handed rod. So I was just forcing the issue with that thing and <laughs> fishing yeah. a 13 foot rod in little spots. And I happened to hook a giant. Okay. This is, the, I got to <laughs> tell the story. So yeah, my first right. still I'm camping at nine mile and I seen a new group of still come in. And I am uh, I'm fishing this one still giving it perfect swings with this, with the Willie Nelson. It's basically like mm. a fancy egg sucking leech. Mm-hmm. And uh, I'm giving it just perfect drifts. And then an otter comes out on the other. And this, this still had wants nothing to do with it. He, it looks like he's just sleeping, just holding there. And uh, this, uh, this otter comes out on the other side of the river and he starts to go down and I start going like making chirpy noises and stuff to him. (laughs) And like, he started playing hide and seek and I'm playing with them too. All right. And then he, then he runs up river. Right. And then dives into that hole. And at this point, I'm just barely lobbing this, uh, will and Nelson out there. So it doesn't get snagged up. I mean, it's like half just rolling down the bottom of the river at this point, spooks. This still head out sees my fly just dang near bouncing along the bottom of the river. freak comes in and annihilates it. no way. And then I freak, somehow was able to set the hook and that was the first stillhead I caught on this sea tuck. Wow just um, because of this otter
0: <laughs> on the Willie Nelson <laughs> on the
1: Willie Nelson. It was a it that was, was a battle too. I had to like jump in the river, cross it, land in the next hole down and yeah it is probably one of the biggest head I caught. I measured huh. a few at 36 inches, and this buck dwarfed it. I didn't measure it. Really? I don't want to put no oh, claims wow. out there, but
0: so this is a huge, this is a giant, feel like a 20 pound fish or something.
1: It did not feel real. It still doesn't to me.
0: Um, mm. I wish
1: I had the picture of it. Uh yep. but,
0: but I don't. Yeah, that's don't, right. Don't. That's right. It's a better story without the photo.
1: I think. Oh God. I, <laughs> I still have dreams thinking about like, I wish I could just see that fish again. How'd you release it?
0: So, so you get this fish in, did you actually touch it? Yeah. I
1: telled it, unhooked it. Yeah. Let it catch its breath admiring it. Let it go.
0: Let it go. Boom. Wow. I know the Yakutat is a place I haven't been to, but I know it's one of those places. It's another one of those bucket list places to get up to. I mean, Alaska has so many of those places, you know, I mean, we're, we're talking about doing a trip up to um, like north, further north this next summer, like doing like a DIY trip where we're just going to like go into the middle of nowhere, like, you know, sort of thing. And, but there's all these places, right? You got, and, and we're talking about more Anchorage, like driving from Anchorage. And there's lots of, when you do the drive out, it probably feels like, can you still get away from the crowds and get on a place within yes, driving totally. distance? You can.
1: So like, if if you're g- going to drive an Anchorage Um, and you want to find a place to fish, Like it totally depends on the time of year.
0: Today's episode is sponsored by Fishhound Expeditions, who puts together remote Alaskan wilderness trips for that bucket list trip of a lifetime. And these aren't your typical lodge-style trips or DIYing it. This is basically floating down the river in remote Alaska with the rainbows, the bears, and all the critters out there. But getting the luxurious uh, comforts of camping with tents and cots and good food and all that stuff. We've had Adam on in a number of episodes here and, uh, and actually just give away a big trip uh, this year up to Alaska. So he's been doing some good stuff. Adam and the crew have done a great job. We were on a trip with them down on this, uh, this remote section. We had the Northern Lights uh, one night. We had um, beautiful floating down the river. We had white water, uh, good food, big campfires, uh, you name it. Got some nice big rainbows, got some coho. It was just an epic all-around trip and it definitely was a trip of a lifetime. You can head over right now if you wanna check this out, wetflyswing.com slash fishhound and check in with Adam and pick his brain to see what kind of trips they have on the list. I know they're filling up quick, so if you wanna get in there for this next year, Uh, check out fishhound f-i-s-h-h-o-u-n-t to connect with adam and the crew over the fishhound and you support this podcast by clicking through that link and uh and checking in with the crew okay back to the show Let's take it for that. Well, let, let's just say like this, somebody's coming up, just say July, let's just say they want to hit Chinook um, and they want to try to hit Chinook. I know runs are down a little bit in some areas, but if they wanted to hit Chinook and some other stuff, what would you recommend? You know what I mean? What would be the thought there? That might be a challenge because it is Chinook. So
1: the fisheries along the road system here around north or south of Anchorage typically start Memorial Day. So okay. um and that's sometimes, you know, depending on the runs, like how early or late they are, you could go down to the peninsula, the Kenai Peninsula, that's south of Anchorage, and you could uh, fish almost all of those um, streams from Homer to the Kenai for your kings.
0: Oh, you could. Okay, so any trip, you can go in and fish any trip to, or the Kenai itself, but there's trips that you could fish for kings.
1: Not the, tri- the so, not tributaries to the Kenai. So, you've got the Kenai River. So, when you're driving south, the first river that you're going to want to fish is the Kenai, and then after that, you got the Kasi Loft, and then after that, you got uh Nanilchik, Deep Creek, Anchor. You got all those smaller rivers, they're, they're basically creeks. And you can and you can fish those. But like there on Memorial Day, since it's the opener that starts at twelve o'clock at night, it's gonna be a little crowded as the season goes on. And if they if the the law allows you to do that, and okay, one thing I gotta tell people everybody too, every year they have an EA or an emergency order. So when you go get your booklet from a Walmart or something, or the gas station, the fishing regs, they'll say. You're allowed to fish so and so days and use bait and gear or trapped hooks and stuff like that. But for the last, like, longest time I can remember, they have an emergency order that comes out every year saying it has to be single hook, artificial only, yep. um, no bait. No bait. So that will get yep. a lot of people coming up here. They're like, well, I'm going by the book. It's like, no, you got to always look up your emergency orders. Gotcha.
0: That's a good tip. That's a good reminder. Okay.
1: Especially for those Kings, you know, now if you're trying to catch Kings, um, now towards July, you might want to come up North and the tributaries on the roadside. So the East side tributaries to the Susitna that's connected to highway three here, you can, you want to go to those confluence and you, you're going to want to try to swing them up that way.
0: Oh, at the confluence. So like fish the Susitna just at the confluence or in the confluence of the tribs.
1: Yeah, that's that's your best bet. Um, Yeah. And they're only, you know, and again, it's totally dependent on the EOs.
0: Yeah. Like what's open and what you can do.
1: Yeah. So it and it changes all the time. They do helicopter surveys. Oh, wow. And stuff. And they just try to get an idea of the king salmon count. And along the west side of the Sioux on the Deshka, they have a weir. And that we will, you know, tell fishing game um, how much fishing anybody could do. And there on the Deska used to be a giant industry of of guides taking people to King Salmon Fish and a local thing where a lot of locals will take their jet boat and go fish that confluence and a little bit up from the confluence for your kings. But Mm -hmm. now it's just, it's so poor um well it's it's it. it's just not a runs thing are anymore
0: down. yeah runs are down and that's thing we're heading up north to like um the uh up out of the bearing like um bethel right we're heading way up north so i think the runs up there even though i think there's some up ups and downs there i think the runs probably are larger you know bethel
1: is like the same uh what do you call it latitude or longitude latitude
0: as Anchorage. Oh, it is. Oh, wow, it is. oh it's yep. amazing. I didn't realize that. I, I always think of that being way up north, but it's not. Okay.
1: Because a lot of the times, if you look at her maps, Alaska kind of twisted up. Because as you get yeah. closer to the poles on a globe, it doesn't right
0: really line that, up. That's right. a cool. That's a cool reminder. That yeah, I never thought of that.
1: But yes, Bethel. That's awesome. Um, you know, out of some of those, you know, there's I can't even tell you how many different streams are along the Cusquim and other rivers like the
0: um yeah river south we're going to the connect talk we're going to be like dropping in the connect talk yeah heck yeah um Definitely mouse on
1: your way till you yeah. find those kings.
0: <laughs> That's what we're doing. That's what we're doing. We got, we, I'm gonna have a box of mice patterns. And I'm gonna have a box of king patterns. And then oh. obviously everything else will, will work. You know what I mean? We're, but my whole thing is like, dude, I would love to get some on the, some rainbows on the mice. I would love to get a king on, you know, just swing some kings up. That's kind of what we're going for.
1: Heck yeah. My favorite mouse pattern is that Rio Pip Squeak. Oh, okay. It has little pink ears on the top, and you could see it real well. Yeah. Swims good. Um, that articulating hook seems to get more hookups. You know, yeah. a lot of the times, you know, when you're when your mouse in, you know, don't set that hook right away. Do not set. It. You let them turn oh, with okay. it a little bit. Oh really? Like you're, like if you're topwater bass fishing, I'll tell the bass fisherman that. Like give it give it a yeah. second, and don't set the hook super aggressive. You know. Um, yeah but uh yeah like yep <laughs> this is a cheater way like I always find that it's almost hundred percent hookups but this is not nice. fly fishing like if you're yeah. if you're in some of those braided rivers out west and you're you're walking in it or whatever and you find this one braid and it's just choked with trees or you just don't feel like walking down it this one time uh, you just cast out there pretty far across and you just strip out all your line you just strip it all yeah. out and you let it just hang straight down hang straight down river and slowly reel it in and you got that wake, and you'll see fish coming in on both sides just gonna come and annihilate oh, wow. your fly i th- i think the total huh. weights i saw on one was like six six Damn. fish for
0: trying to beat just some reeling
1: up well you can do it stripping too and call yourself yeah, fly stripping. fishing. but uh, yeah yeah, yeah. Know, but when you're reeling and your rod's low your line straight and tight they grab it and when they turn they just hook themselves yeah they hook know?
0: themselves exactly you don't have to you don't have to like hook like set the hook downstream right and make the good hook set they'll do it for themselves
1: yeah and I, you know a lot of the times you're with a mouse to fish it right you always just want to wait you got a lot of people that want to sit there and hold that rod up and jig, 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 jig. jig. But if you have a bunch right. of line out there that ain't doing nothing to your mouse, you're just you're just jigging that rod for no reason. All I care about is a nice wake on that mouse. You know, make it. Oh, and you know what? Sometimes it doesn't even matter. There's this one guy who's like, "I'm getting more bites. I'm just a dead drifted mouse." So I'm like, "Whatever blows your skirt up, man." But if you yep. if if I'm fishing, I'm I'm actively
0: fishing it. You know, right? That's fine. You catch
1: it any way you want. I don't care. <laughs> yeah, I hear you. No,
0: that's awesome. Well, and and so back to the kings. There on the kings is. Do you guys actually guide for? Is that something where people are like, "Hey, I want to go out and take a day trip with for for some kings." Do you guys do that? Like with Fish Town and what you do?
1: Yes, we do do that. It's a little bit more rare lately because the laws are so finicky. Yeah, because they've been um, tough. You know, it's hard to have somebody gonna fly up. And, you know, hopefully, you know, when they're here, it's legal and yep. that there's fish here because who knows that the fish are yep. going to be a couple weeks late, a couple weeks early and
0: kink just tough. It is tough, right? It's not, it's not the easiest thing. That's the thing. It's not like coho fishing, right? It's a totally different deal.
1: Yes. You're not going to find them all eddied out in a, you know, chilling in an eddy where you could use yep. top water for. For a silver. No, these guys are hanging out deeper, typically a little bit faster water than the rest of the salmon, especially yeah. when they spawn.
0: I'd imagine the thing to do would be to, like, I think about this if I was going to do a trip, you know, even like take the family up, right? You, you got the family, you're doing this road trip. It'd be fine to do the whole Alaska Highway, right? Do a thing and then get up there and you have like a month or maybe two or maybe the whole summer where you're like, you know what, we're just going to camp out and travel Alaska. Then, you know, it gives you a little more opportunity to be like, well, if we hit the Kings, great. If not, then we'll hit whatever else is coming up, right? I mean, I guess the more time you have up there, probably the better, right?
1: Oh, man. my Some of my favorite time to fish up here is June and beginning of July until the eggs drop because they're just so aggressive hitting, um, you know, your, your, your streamers and your mice. Yes. Yeah. And then the weather is typically the nicest in July, oh, you know. It
0: is, right. Longest days of the year.
1: Uh, yeah, June 21st, longest day of the year for sure. Um, it's yeah. like yesterday, it was just her shortest day of the year here. It, yeah, it's you could fish like so in Alaska, like during when the Kings are in, you could fit, oh, at least on the Sioux, you're allowed to fish from 6 to 11 or 6 to 10, but you have light all the way to 11 o'clock fishing weather and you know in alaska you know we start our day trips at 10 o'clock and a lot of people they go well shouldn't we be waking up early i'm like no nope the fish are still gonna bite and if anything during that time of year you want that water to warm up a little bit more especially that early season stuff like early early june and before Mm, june there you, you as the day goes on you know what the water temp is at the highest almost right before the sun starts to go down and oh, you're right. going to, you could feel the fishing get better sometimes as that water warms up because in the beginning of the year you have like 10 degree water temp changes every day. It's pretty wild. Damn. And so, you know, like temperature and fish is, you know, a big deal, you know, like, yeah. so you want to hit that wheelhouse. So 50 degrees or I get excited, once it breaks 40 you know i i'm getting excited yep. early season i'm like oh it's on um right and you're always right. looking for consistency like consistency and temperature is a big thing like when you get later on in the year and you get these rain events and stuff and it just drops and it stays dropped that temperature it's it's hard to get decent amount of bites you know but if it's a consistent yeah. drop and these fish feel winter coming and they need to put on that fat It's good. It's just when it's drastic changes up and down, it makes it tough.
0: Yeah, that's it. Okay. And and I was thinking earlier just about the guiding, right? So you guys, I mean, obviously you're guiding throughout, you know, the year with fishhound expeditions. What is it, if somebody's up there, and I think it is a good advice, you hear this a lot, right? You're going up to a new area, it, you know, if somebody's coming up there, it'd be a good idea to at least get a guide for a day because they could show you at least one river, you can kind of learn the land, right? What would be your tips for somebody that wants to make a successful trip with a guide? Because I'm sure up in Alaska, you guys see all sorts of people that don't know, anything to like, what would you tell somebody if they're new to fishing Alaska, they're going to hire you guys for a trip? What do you tell them? Like, these are the things you should be doing to get ready to make this <laughs> a su- successful trip.
1: <laughs> so, you know, I had that happen to me quite a few times, almost a couple times a year where you get a young dude or a young couple, they're like living out of a van or something yep. for a month or two. And they're just trying to figure stuff out. And, you know, Alaska fishing is different. Like when I go down to the States, I need to figure it out. Like when I go to Oregon near Ben at the, with my sister, it, it took me a while to figure out these fish. Like I'm not used to using a blue wing olive of them. Right. Like no freaking way catching fish on this little thing. I'm a, yeah. I'm like a spoiled Alaskan where I'm using eight pound mask as my tippet. You know, and then I have to go down and use 5X. It's all different. But like when you get these people up in their van and they're trying to figure it out, like when I had my band, they would stop and ask me what's going on. Where should I go? And I'll give them, you know, I'll be like, okay, this time of year, you want to be here using this kind of stuff. Yeah. And I'm pretty friendly with those people. Like I'm not, I don't give up all my secrets and all my secret trails, you know, to get into some mm-hmm. really good out of the way spots, but I'm definitely going to set you up for success. Uh, you know, like in this one, this one young gentleman, he's a, fighter jet in school for being a fighter jet pilot. And Mm. he came up and he's borrowed a van from the family and he's trying to figure stuff out. And we went on a guided trip on Willow where me and you first went and we had an excellent day and he came back, uh, to hang out with us at night. We're just drinking around a campfire. And then, you know, he was convinced to do that heli trip too. And we had one of the best days, you know, the river was perfect. Um, all the conditions are perfect. A lot of salmon, a lot of big trout. It was in sight fishing some of those little side tributaries that come in on the on the on the helicopter trip, and it was just oh yeah, it it was wild. Where you're like crawling through bush and you just give like little bow and arrow or a flip cast in these little tiny runs catching two foot trout. It was, it was super fun. Um, wow, and uh, you know you just it's cool when you get to share those experiences with those like-minded excited people like sometimes you go on those trips and i mean the stars and planets align and you got these guys that i'm like i have to pull the boat over i'm like i just want you to know this is special for even alaska and it's like this is right this you guys are doubling up on two-foot trout every run this is not normal (laughs) Right. Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's it. That's the expectations thing. Right. To let people come up there. They probably are already thinking like, hey, I'm just going to catch a giant, you know, two foot trout every cast because it's Alaska or I'm going to catch kings on every cast. Right. But that's not. No. the way it works <laughs> yeah well and we had you know on our trip and we talked about this like i said on the episodes with adam and but i mean we had some pretty epic stuff too right i mean even though the water was high for uh, us i mean that night where it us. cleared yeah i remember that the the night where it cleared we had the northern lights that popped out just oh, like yeah. that that was, pre- <laughs> that was
1: super cool like that whole trip like the you know the water started off real tough it was tough to even get that first trout you know you had to yep. high stick it near the banks you know and yep. It is it, it just not easy. You what? We had like six inches of visibility. <laughs> I know. <That> was <laughs> I'm surprised crazy. we caught anything that first day, but then the water I know. dropped like, I would say almost a foot throughout that trip and fishing just consistently got better, which is, you know, like Alaska, we don't have waters, Thank God, you know, everything's mm. just wild. And, yeah. uh, you know, you, you take what you get as a mm-hmm. se- whatever the mother nature wants to give you
0: that's right that's right when do you guys think with with the stuff with fishhound when do you start because you're you're right now we're kind of in the the holiday christmas stuff um when does that fishhound when do you start getting stuff ready for that for all that season uh for fly fishing we start in like
1: mid late april when the rivers finally break up and and, and, in you know as soon as the rivers break up and the ice is gone you have a chance. And sometimes like that beginning season fishery, you could have a lights out day or you could fish for like three days and not even feel or see anything. It's a really finicky fishery early season. Um, And if you're not like, and uh, if you're not fishing the right perfect spots, you're not getting anything. You don't want to, that very early season, you, you know, I made this mistake when I was younger uh, because, you know, I used to just go to the Kenai with the buddies and stuff and you're fishing the whole Kenai river is a big river in by itself. There's fish spread out through that river throughout the season. But when you come up North, it's a little bit of a learning curve there in the sense that these fish aren't living in the tributaries year round, they're going to the big stew. And so you got to concentrate your efforts on your time of year, depending on where these fish are. And uh, you know, like, I remember fishing one of the tributaries in, in May and I'm like, they ain't shit around. What the heck? There's yeah. nothing. And then it's like, Oh, well no, shit." they're all at the bottom, you know? And oh, it's just yeah. like, and as the water warms up and rises, you know, you're going to have your beginning season runoff. And right after that runoff, they're pretty much spread out for the most part in the river system. And, uh, mm. and uh,
0: you'll find them that way. Right. And and does the Susitna just as I guess the Susitna comes in right at Anchorage, pretty much at the Cook Inlet. And that's also Kenai. So it flows into like that whole area that it's all connected. So the, the Kenai
1: and the Susitna both flow into the Cook Inlet. But the Cook, so Anchorage, uh, you would have to go across the Cook Inlet to see the Sioux. Um, and some people, you know, they'll put in their boats and go duck hunting and stuff across the Sioux there at the that delta area or the estuary mm. where the Sioux dumps mm-hmm. in. Um, but I want people to realize, too, that Cook Inlet, for the most part, is like nasty mud, oh, mud water. You know, it's not like gotcha. ocean, like bl- yeah. blue ocean. It's nasty, silty ocean water, gotcha. big tides come in and out and all that river silt you know gets stirred up with those big tides and and like the Susitna is a big silty river and the cool thing about the Susitna and like the Toltina you know is that it's silty in the summer but it's clear in the winter hmm. um so if you have because those glaciers when it drops below freezing they lock up and they're not dumping the silt anymore but you oh, still right. have you still have a little bit of water like your springs and whatnot, you know, making flowing water. And so as the season goes on and it starts to get clean again, because um, right after breakup or when the ice is breaking up, it's pretty much dirty already. You know, it's it's silty water already. But as it drops and it gets cold in September, October, those rivers are totally fishable. And, you know, you could get lucky and find a spot. Now, the Susitna in my area, I think it's like five miles wide. It's a big braided oh, river.
0: Wow. Yeah. It's
1: huge. I think it's in the top 10 rivers of North America. Right. And yeah, right. It's huge. The thing is huge. You, there's so many different channels and stuff. And, you know, if you don't have a jet boat, you're not really fishing it. Um, you can't gotcha. float from one tributary to another, but you're just you know i haven't done that yet i would like to do that you know in the late fall but usually we're too busy to do any like exploratory trip like that
0: yeah yeah you. okay well and let's wrap this up just um we're gonna take it out of here pretty quick but as far as again that person coming up they're doing their road you know traveling so they got the kenai they can go down that area they we talked about the susitna Anything else you would tell somebody if they're kind of planning a trip? I mean, are there like some local fly shops where they can get some information? I mean, they can connect with you if they want to do a guide trip. What else do you tell somebody to get prepared to make sure they know kind of where they're going, what to do, what to bring?
1: So if you're, when you fly into Anchorage, my favorite fly shop in Alaska is Mossy's. Mike and Brian, the two guys that are always in there, they'll, they'll hook you up. They'll tell you where to go and how to do it. And they got all the gear that you need whatever it is and they're super friendly people um they're the ones that you know when I first started fly fishing I would go in there with the the stupid questions and all those things and they treated me they treated me good and like you know they still make fun of me today to this day what I got like you know with just stupid stories I come in there with like this one time I go down to the Kenai in the winter and I'm fishing the middle And I'm by myself, and I just put a little Minn Kota on my single-man pontoon, and I'm floating the Skelak River into the mouth. And uh, I had my two-handed rod, and I thought it was a good idea. I could just troll my fly across the river as I'm switching sides. Uh Well, I got my fly line or my running line into my motor, and I looked back, and I watched, watched my running line go all the way to my shooting head and just bing. There goes my shooting head, Damn, and I'm out gone. there with nothing. And I show up, and I, they just see uh, like a rat's nest on the end of my my spool. <laughs> and they still bring that up today. Uh, that's and awesome. And I'm like, it was such a coop move I did, but whatever. Yeah, like, right, right.
0: Did you have a Did you have a backup rod, backup setup? Not
1: with me. Just back at the truck.
0: Yeah. There you go.
1: Oh, that nice. was a long cold day. Freaking icebergs yeah, floating down past you. But Holy like one cow. thing I want to say on that road system is yeah. like it again, I keep saying time of year, but if you're gonna come, some of the trout fishermen up here, the two trout bums, they love uh, August September, because we call it football mm. season up here, because these trout look like footballs. They All you right. could have a skinny little tra- tail on an 18-inch trout or sixteen. 16- but the, it, it's the size of a Nerf ball. They're yeah. so fat and so strong. It's so fun. And if you want to go a little bit later into late September or mid September to late September, beginning of October, now I'm trying to remember the laws, but you got Stillhead mm-hmm. on the Kenai Peninsula. Oh, wow. Like your Anchor oh, River, you your Nanilchik, your Deep Creek, your Startsky Creek. Those all oh, have still head in there. And, you know, some, sometimes the river could be a teeny bit crowded in the more popular holes, but you can't find spots where you're going to catch your silver or uh, still head. And there's also a bunch of silvers and Dolly Vardens in those rivers at that time, too. Mm, um, yeah. So you got well, options to even catch stillhead. On the road system. There is no stillhead in the susitna River Valley at all. Mm. But if oh, there's you, none, yeah. You know, stillhead start at the Kenai River down. There is some stillhead uh, okay. in the Kenai River. They used to have a hatchery on the Kassilloff River. And the Kassiloff River is another big old river, uh, slightly glacier-fed river. Yeah. And they used to have stillhead hatchery there, and they took it out because they are afraid because the Kassiloff and the Kenai, they come out into the ocean right like there. uh right next to each other i th- uh, oh yeah. i forget the exact miles but it's less than 20. and it's just uh-huh. you got all that water mixing back and forth in that area so they're worried about hatchery still going into the keen so they took that out but there oh, is gotcha. some natural native runs of still head in the Kenai. now that could get a little confusing too because when you got these rivers with big lakes on the system you could you could you find yourself it a like rainbow. it could be a nice bright chromed out rainbow like a, a right. knack, like a neck neck rainbow you know yeah. those yeah. things are basically stillhead they're like it's like a great lake stillhead almost you know yep you yep. your leopard bows are those bows that you know that they're, they're spotted and more dark they're the ones that you know are more adapted to just be in the rivers you know right. and then you'll the get rivers, your yeah your lake rainbows that are more brighter and then you got like some of the rainbows that i find in the susitna like in the susitna in the dirty water itself that you sometimes catch in the treads themselves they're like pale you know they're mm. they're just a different look and these fish are really good at adapting on how they should look in their given the environment and you could it, yeah. it's when you catch this fish you're like oh this fish is mainly from the sioux or this is a true leopard bow, or this guy somewhere in between. Right. It's right, super
0: right. cool that's that crazy. it's different rainbows that you'll see up here. Yeah, it's a different, and the cool thing about the rainbows is that they kind of evolved, right? That's where rainbows kind of started from. Like, if you go back in the evolutionary history, right? Alaska is the true first rainbow. I, I think that's kind of the story, right? Something like that.
1: You know, that's I never thought of it that way. I just know rainbows are native west of the rockies all the way from mexico to alaska or to kamchatka um yeah. which is just wild to me that there used to be steelhead in mex on baja i know. know isn't that nuts oh god like when you talked about the rogue river earlier and your grandpa yeah. just going 1930s yeah. and all i was thinking about holy shit, i wish i could see that fishing back in the day <laughs> well
0: and that's the thing about that book is that it's so cool about reading that book is literally it's written about my great-grandfather or it's my great uncle, I guess. But I mean, yeah, they're talking about fishing down there in the 1930s. And and you know what I mean? Like it's imagine the difference, right? Because obviously there's been a lot more impacts and stuff over the years. So it's, yeah, it's kind of crazy. I think we need to document, probably we need to do more documentation of like what you're doing as well, because it seems like maybe as scary as this sounds, like Chinook is showing us that it's not an unlimited supply of fish, right? I mean, you're no. seeing the effects now.
1: It's crazy. You know, here on this river used to have a super strong run of Kings and a lot of them are, you know, a bunch of them used to be in the 60 plus pound range to 80. Sometimes even on these little creeks Jeez. here and it's, it's just sad. Cause you got these guys that's been fishing it since the eighties up here and stuff. And you'll, you'll yeah. walk into an out of way hole where only locals know about, or you, you even need a key to get in a certain gate to get into this area. And you'll find, find people snagging kings on their spawning bed and stuff and it just mm. that's that's the only time like on the river is mishandling fish like the rainbows and stuff or snagging kings that like it's it hurts yeah no good like it, you, you feel it in your bones like it's so hard yeah. and it's so hard to you know like you can't everybody thinks it's their god-given willowbilly right up here to just yeah, you know, do whatever they want, like they used to do it, and it's just wild. Like there on that that huh. helicopter trip, I heard a story one time back in the day when people were all king fishing. Right? And there used to be a lot of people fishing the bottom of that river, king fishing, and uh, you keep the big kings on a stringer alive up to days until you catch a bigger king, and you let that smaller king go. And it's just, and you're just, you, you know, you're, you, could, you could be walking along a bank and all of a sudden those, those kings on a stringer come alive and thrashing around, ripping themselves up. And it's oh, like, wow. no, you know, sport fishermen have a small, you know, I don't know about small, but we do have a bigger take into fish populations than a lot of people. People just want to blame it on commercial or right. the hatchery, pink and chum. Or the yep. uh, or the illegal overseas market. Um, I, I think it starts yep. with us too, having better practices of catch and release and more ethical, just targeting and sometimes just leaving yep. them alone, even if it's legal, because right. it's they're just they're beautiful, gnarly, big ass fish, and their story is just so cool. And when you do hook one, it is just one of the most wild things, like. You know, with these clients, sometimes like we're trout fishing, we have a six weight, you know, with eight pound, 10 pound maxima, and they hook this, this king on a woolly bugger or Dalai Lama. (laughs) And it's like, well, what do I do now? I'm like, well, have fun for about a few seconds until
0: that thing pops off. we're not off. trying well, we, to reel this
1: thing in because we're just going to kill it trying to reel it in. So just yeah, right. We're going to pop go, it or, or let
0: it go. <laughs> yeah. well, I love I love that take because your take on that says a lot about you know your take is that you know like you said all these things it's the impacts are from everybody and you said it well a lot of people want to just point the fingers at somebody else instead of like actually looking back at themselves and be like hey you know we're a part of this problem too and you're saying it yourself you know the sport fishing industry and people involved are a part of the problem it's like you know i think you're hitting on it. it's like we got to work together that's how you you solve these problems is working together as opposed to pointing fingers right yes and
1: when it comes to alaska there's like no barbless laws i've seen up here yet you know, and it, oh, wow. that's one thing as yeah. a company, you know, especially with some of our newer guides, I'm a big stickler about yes. like, he's like, well, what about if we're killing salmon? You know, I'm like, well, how many trout do you catch on that dolly? Exactly. You know, exactly. like, no, no, yep. we're, we're debarbing all these hooks.
0: Exactly. And think about the hooking. And I remember this the first time I did the Skeena steelhead, you know, because that was the first time we really went hard on barbless because you had to. And I'll tell you what, we, we caught just as many fish. Exactly. Like you can hook and land fish on a barbless fly. It's totally the same. I mean, you're you're lost. It's you know. So people, they're stuck on it, right? They're people stuck on that barb actually helps. A perfect example. I'm on the the, uh, the one of the rivers on the Kodiak, and
1: it's my first time fishing it in July. Usually, we're there for uh, steelhead later on in October. Mm. And Dave, this last October trip, oh my
0: god. <laughs> It, I don't Crazy. know if you talked
1: to Adam about that at all, but
0: oh, oh yeah, was this where you guys hooked like hundred fish or something? Oh, it was a lot of fish. Like
1: there was days where we had a between six people over fifty fish. You know, that wow. it was so in, fifty
0: fish. So you're literally you're these are steelhead. So you're swinging a dry line steelhead.
1: Yep, or you can swing it. a little can, sinking. You yeah, interme- It's a it's a shallow river, so down. you're, you're yeah. it's an intermediate line or
0: light. Yeah. And yeah, or type, I, type three, something like, yeah.
1: There, there's times where, you know, I'm wading across the river and I'm carrying rods and I'm like, screw it, I'll just, I'll just let this one swing fly, just hang out down river while I wade, just wade across. So I'm just walking across with the fly in the water and you hook a fish and you're like, holy shit, now what? <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> It was just the most wild fishing. And to start that trip off to your fishing, some of the smaller tributaries of the lake. And haven't oh, seen right. any steelhead, steelhead there, some decent rainbows and a lot of dollies. And you're fishing feet, I mean, literally feet away from giant Kodiak brown bears.
0: And it's just, oh, wow,
1: super wild experience. And sometimes. Oh, really?
0: So you're sitting there fishing, they're just hanging the brown bears, are like right next to you there. You're just hanging with them?
1: Right next to us while we're fishing. They're chasing salmon around. And sometimes when they're chasing the salmon, they don't see you. And you're like, oh, this thing is going to run right into us and he's going to get spooked and so you try to just make yourself known a little bit if you can move out of the way you move out of the way but sometimes you got a bunch of alders and brush oh wow where you can't move out of the way
0: so sometimes you're just you're sticking there the 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 brown bears see you and there are the kodiak bears see you and they just kind of walk right by you
1: yeah they're just like you know they just mosey on by you usually sometimes they will (laughs) get right you know they'll be like no i want that section of the beach and depending on the the vibe or anything on that bear you're gonna stay there until that bear you're not no i'm not leaving here or you just move out of the way and watch the bear do its thing like this wow i was with two older gentlemen from new jersey and we're kind of by ourselves away from the main group and i'm sitting there retying a hook or doing something and i look up or i hear something in the brush Five feet away from me, two cubs, (laughs) but freaking, we spooked each other. Like I could reach out and touch it damn near. And then the mama bear just stands up right behind them. And I'm like, oh, fuck. You know, that's what, you know, pretty comfortable around bears. But yeah, I did have my hand on my gun (laughs) right then. I'm like, hey, mama, you're good, mama. You're good. And then they backed away. She did it was crazy watching her do like she it looked like i didn't even hear anything but the two cubs knew exactly what she was saying they went off and then she went off it was was so cool And there was a bunch of little experiences like that
0: um yeah super wild fun god that's kodiak that's kodiak yeah we've talked a little bit about that with adam that yeah you guys run that operation there and i and i hope to dig more into that as well so so cool. Well, I think, I think I'll leave it there and uh, maybe just give you a shout out. So we'll, uh, you know, fishhoundexpeditions.com, they can track you down there, um, or any of the crew and we'll put your, uh, put a link into some other stuff there on, on maybe your email just so people can, if they have a direct question, but yeah, anything else you want to give a shout out to, or I guess, you know, in the next, um, after the new year, like, right. What, what do you have coming here the next six months? You get, uh, you got some winter stuff going or just hanging low?
1: Um, right now I'm helping doing the snow cat gig operation you know where we uh they're at willow creek resort where we put in that first day um they run snow cats across the sioux uh for like different lodges and stuff hauling in whatever material that they need so i'll be driving snow cats this year
0: oh nice um
1: And at some point I need to go down to the States or Hawaii and do some fishing and, uh, yes. Visiting family. And I don't know when that's going to happen, but that's basically my winter right now. There you go. Um, Just praying it stays above zero because it's freaking cold.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, it is cool. All right, well, well, hey, um just wanna thank you for you know what I mean, all the time today and then putting together that trip because you know, when we did it, you that first day we had that little bonus day we went out with you and and uh and it was just a great way to start the trip. You know, I had I think I might have got my biggest fish on that trip on Willow that day, and then it was just a great start. And um, but yeah, I appreciate you know, all the all the good stuff, man.
1: Yeah, Willow was fishing good. Um is it? Yeah. It was fi- like well, not right now, it's frozen, but not right now. Yeah. <laughs> But yeah, it was fun hanging out with you and Torres and my dog. That was a that was a good day. That's right,
0: that's right, and the dog, yeah, and you got your dog. Played cool, the man.
1: Steelhead song and everything. That's right,
0: yeah. I gotta <laughs> I gotta relook at. It. Well, Cam's got some pics. Well, from our Appelli stuff, Cam's got some pics. We had some pics from that too. That's right. the uh, The Steelhead song <laughs> and the uh, and the shotgunning and all that stuff. It was a good trip. <laughs> yeah. Right on, man. All right, Phil. Well, I'll check back with you when we get this ready to roll. Thanks for all your time, and we'll talk to you soon.
1: Yeah, Dave, thanks, and it was a pleasure fishing and talking to you today.
0: So there we go, wetflyswing.com slash 401-401. We've moved across the finish line, and we're uh, at the starting point again, getting ready to uh, launch into that next uh, race. 100 more episodes to go into that next finish line, 500. Where is it going to take us? I want to take a look ahead at what we have coming up on this podcast, but first, let's give a quick listener shout-out. John Uher from Colorado loves to target cruising brown trout in clear water. He's on our newsletter list, uh, and uh, he replied back during that giveaway we had uh, this year up to Alaska. Cheers, John! Thanks for uh, checking out and replying back on that email. Uh, check in with me anytime if you get a chance and uh, want me to put together some uh, some podcast episodes for you. Okay, where are we headed? Let's take a quick peek. Doo-doo. All right, so here we go. So, uh, looks like tomorrow, actually, we are going right back at it tomorrow. We got uh, Maine fly fishing. We got Kevin McKay coming on to dig into uh, brook trout. This is a good one. He digs into some of the big brook trout up there in Maine, up there in that corner. Uh, that's a good one. Next week, looks like pretty excited. Looks like we have a good diverse selection next week. We got uh, Kinsley... Uh, with a steelhead episode, we got uh, a actually an interesting one with uh, a skateboarder, pro skateboarder slash fly fisherman. And we're also launching the littoral zone or the littoral zone. I'm not quite sure how to, uh, how to pronounce that, but uh, let's just call it littoral zone. Uh, and this is where Phil Roy is going to be coming on here and actually giving us uh, some cool advice directly from him. So we're going to let Phil take the mic And uh, get ready for that. This is, I'm pretty excited about these new uh, series we're doing. We're actually going to have Phil and some of the other best out there come on this podcast. Take the mic. It's like the mic, it's not the mic drop, it's the mic handover. And I'm going to let Phil work his magic, and we're going to post that uh, next week. So stay tuned for that. Okay, I guess that's about it. Gives you a little update on next week. Uh, We're doing a lot of content here, so it's a lot of fun to share what we have coming. Again, I mentioned before, uh, you can reach out to me, Dave at wetflyswing.com. Anytime I want to thank Will, uh, Adam, Cam and the whole crew at fishhound for helping to put together this amazing trip, uh, this summer. Uh, Nick and I had a great time and we are hoping to do this again. Um, if you haven't connected with fishhound, give them a shot right now. Fishhoundexpeditions.com. Best thing to do is to click there, uh, click that, uh, there's a link there on that website, send uh, Adam an email, give him a call. Let them know you're interested in Alaska if you want to connect with Will um, or any of the crew. All right, I'm going to get out of here. Hope you are having a good afternoon, good evening, or good morning wherever you are in the world, even if you are on the other end of the planet. And if you are, if you're in one of those 100 countries or so that we are, uh, we have listeners in and you're far away from the United States, I'd love to hear from you. I'd love to hear from the person who's the furthest away from the Oregon Area of the United States. So check that out. Throw out the map, throw in Portland, Oregon, and then throw in your destination and send me a mileage report. How many miles are you? Send me a message. I'd love to get this on social. Maybe you could ping me on Instagram, DM, or give us a mention there and say, hey, we are 10,000 miles. I don't even know. How far is it around the planet? Or at least halfway around the planet. How many miles is it? How far do you have to go? All right. This is a new game we're going to have here. And I will probably try to announce the winner if I hear back from a few people. Thanks again. hope you're having a good day and looking forward to catching up with you online or on the water. Thanks for listening to the Wet Fly Swing Fly Fishing Show. For notes and links from this episode, visit wetflyswing.com.